Malachi we had in chapter, particularly in chapter 4 and the second verse, Malachi 4 verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Martin Luther called John 3.16 the little gospel, that it was an entire gospel of its own. And some people call uh, this, this book the little, old, the little Old Testament because there's just so much compacted into these four chapters. And uh, Malachi seems to be a book that is bridging the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, in chapter 3, uh, he talks about the messenger. Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And of course, when we go to the New Testament, we know that that messenger was John the Baptist. And he was uh, one who came to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John said, that he, he was the messenger who had come to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, the name Malachi itself means messenger. And so this messenger, prophet Malachi, uh, delivers a very strong message. That when you read it, it's one of these messages that comes with a kind of a, a force and an authority, a power, and yet we don't know very much about the man. We don't, we don't know an awful lot about who, about Malachi. And, you know, there's a, that in itself is a very uh, important thing to stress because a messenger is simply that. Messenger is somebody who is bringing the message. And uh, we must always remember that whenever we are engaged in preaching or involved in the service of the Lord, that that's all we are. That is not about us, but that we're bringing what God wants us to be, that our whole duty is to proclaim God's word, to tell about who God is, what his purposes for us are, what he desires, and uh, we must never try and get in the way of the message or in any way think that it's about us. It isn't in any shape or form. And that's part of the beauty of this man, Malachi. We know next to nothing, very, very little about him. But as we say, in this short book or this short four chapters that he gives, it's one of the, the Old Testament books that really it, it impacts very powerfully uh, into people's lives once we uh, delve into it. Now, he t talks here about the appearing, quite a bit about the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, uh, the appearing of the Lord. <clears throat> and that is again a very much a New Testament concept as well. And very often, <coughs> excuse me, the Old Testament prophets, as they delivered their message, there was sometimes they talked about the first coming of the Lord and sometimes about the second coming of the Lord. And sometimes these two comings were intertwined, so to speak. And I believe that there is mention, in a sense, we could see both the first coming, the incarnation, or the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Malachi's message, but we can also see something of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Malachi's message. And he talks about the appearing of the Lord. And that's very much a New Testament uh, concept as well. Paul often talked about 
the appearing or the reappearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in the Second Timothy, uh, when Paul was talking about the crown of righteousness that he was soon going to receive from the Lord when he enters glory, and Paul adds this, not to me only, but everyone that loves his appearing. Every person that loves the appearing of the Lord, the, re, the return of the Lord Jesus, will get that crown. Now here's a question. What do you think about the reappearing of the Lord Jesus? If you were told the Lord Jesus is going to return this afternoon, how, how would you feel? Of course we don't know, and we'll never know. He, he will come suddenly, he tells us that, that not even the angels in heaven know when he's going to return. But he's going to come suddenly. And even as we look around in the world today, there are certain things that when you go to Matthew's Gospel and such like, he talks about things, events that will unfold. And indeed, we sometimes are looking around and we're saying, you know, it's almost we're seeing the signs of the times and the days that we're living in. But he's going to come suddenly. He's going to come unexpectedly. But if he was to come today, would your heart be saying, whoa, that's, you know, there's, I'm really glad I'm going to be alive to see this amazing moment of the return, the heavens opened and the return of Jesus and the graves opening and the, the, the dead rising and being, uh, me alive, being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What a thought. Or would it be one of absolute apprehension and dread and fear and say, Poor, I'm not ready to meet the Lord. Well, it'll tell you an awful lot about where you are today as to how you feel within your own self at the prospect of the return of Jesus. Because as we know, one day he's going to come. And the, the thing is that it's in this life, in this world, that we're given the opportunity to get ready to meet him. Because we're all going to have to meet him one day. Because we're all to appear before the judgment seat. You and I, we're going to have to appear before him. Whatever we have done with him here in this world, that won't change the fact that we're going to have to have an appearance before him. And it's a, it's a solemn prospect. And Malachi in chapter 1 here shows us that for those who remain Christless, they're called the arrogant here, arrogant and evildoers. They're arrogant because they won't bow down before the Lord. That's, why, that's what's wrong with people is that they, they believe that they're good enough within themselves. They don't, they don't see their need of Jesus. And in fact, it's interesting because we put further back in chapter 13, the Lord is here talking about some of God's people who are saying it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of her keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Because as he looks round, it appears that the arrogant are blessed and that the evildoers are prospering. That's, a, that's not a new concept. Go to Psalm 73, Psalm 37. These are things that sometimes baffle a believer. How come the arrogant... And the evildoers, they're prospering. Their life is as smooth. And here's me, and I'm following the Lord. And all I get is hassle and trouble. Then you go to, to, to chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, 
when all the arrogant and evildoers, that's the ones mentioned in in verses 14 and 15, what's going to happen? They're going to be burnt up like stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze so that they will leave them neither root nor branch. In other words, that there's no... There's nothing left that would can grow again. That's the end. So it's a, it's a very solemn and a very challenging thing. But, and I love this where the Lord puts in this, or the prophet puts in, but he says, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So who is the promise given to? It's to those who, who fear the name of the Lord. So what is it to fear Uh, the name of the Lord well this is not the slavish fear that that we can that we can fear when we're we're scared about something or scared about someone where we where we we cower away I remember when I was a young boy when when I was grew up in Portree and uh, like all young fellows or young people then we, we didn't have there was no telly there was nothing we had to make our own our own entertainment and sometimes we get up to mischief and uh, things that looking back now you're kind of a wee bit ashamed about and you say oh I shouldn't have done that there was no malice there was wasn't meaning anything bad in it but it was just sort of childish fun I remember one particular night and there was a, this man and uh, he was a really big big man with a ferocious temper and sometimes we would target his house because he always chased which added to the to the excitement and I still remember this particular night he nearly caught me and uh, he he was yelling he said you're finished and I'll make sure of that I was only a young boy well I'm telling you I was scared and I still remember I had to pass that man's house going to school the detours I took so that I wouldn't pass I was terrified that he would get me now that's what we call this kind of slavish fear when you're afraid of somebody. When you see them, you're going to dodge out of the way. You're going to run a mile because of guilt. That's, that's what, that was my problem. There's nothing wrong with a man. It was what I had done. And there was this, I had this guilt in myself that whenever I saw him, I felt guilty. And there's a lot of people who live before the Lord like that. There's this guilt within them. This sense of guilt. And because they've wronged God. Now, I would say that every single person, whether you're a believer or not a believer, if you're a believer, you've experienced that and you still experience it when, we've, when we sin, the sense of guilt before God. But, God, we, but it's dealt with. And, but prior to becoming a Christian, we harbor this guilt and often we don't know that that's what it is. And we, we run out. That's the natural thing is we, we try and run away from God. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What was the first thing they did when they heard the voice of God? They ran away. They went on the run. And that's what people have been doing ever since. And people run away from God. And people run away by trying to make out God as somebody other than who he says he is in his word. Or try and deny that God, the existence of God. If we try and push God out of the picture and pretend he's not there, and if I live as if God is not and I make out he's not, then it gives me a sense of, I think, freedom. 
But it doesn't. Because there's a guilt. There is a guilt, a natural guilt within the heart. Because we have sinned against God and offended God. And so many people, even atheists and agnostics, are harboring a guilt that they have no idea that it's a guilt. And that is why there is often so much opposition to the Christian. Because the Christian can be a rebuke. A rebuke that is something about the Christian that is a rebuke to the non-Christian. That's why the, so many people want to remove the impact of Christianity from society. Because Christianity has a voice that troubles people. It gets under their skin. And they don't want to face up to that. All we do, So they just say, right, we're going to remove this. Obliterate this. Get the Bible out of society. The influence of Christian. If you want to be a Christian, practice it in your own in your own home, but don't try and impact or influence society in any shape or form. That is very often because of the inbuilt guilt that is lying so deep down. It's the impact that made Adam and Eve run away from God, and that is why society today is still running away from God. But they don't realize that that's what they're doing. But what we have here is a different kind of fear. This is the fear that is brought about because of our knowledge of who God is. For the Jew, a name really meant something, because that's what it says here. Uh, for you who fear my name. Now, very often for ourselves, a name is just... It's, it's what we're given and we're identified with this particular name. But for the Jew, the name often revealed something of the character of that person. That, and I suppose to a certain extent in, in our culture, we often give people nicknames. And these nicknames will often uh, be associated in some way with maybe a trait or a character or something, a characteristic that they have, or maybe their father or grandfather had or something, it, it continues down. Well, for the Jew, the name was important. It spoke about the character. And that's exactly what is being said here. To those who fear my name, who know my character, who I am, who have come to understand my glory, my the, the holiness of my name, the majesty, the dominion, the authority, the grace, the mercy, the peace, all that's associated to me. That's, this is what is spoken about unto you that fear my name. And this is part of the, the, one, the wonderful thing here is that the more that we come to know the Lord, the more that we will fear him with a sense of reverence and worship and adoration, and love, all of that is in, in this fear. It, it touches our lives. It regulates our lives. And when we sin against God, it hurts. We know we've hurt God. It hurts us because we fear his name. And we want to get, we want to get right with God. You know, when we've done wrong against God, the first thing we want to do is get right with him. And you know, that's part of <coughs> the ongoing struggle within our Christian faith, is this struggle between wrong and right. Where, you remember how the Apostle Paul looks at it and he says that there's this 
law within my members that's working against. He's conscious of this force within him that's pulling him in one direction, but he's also conscious of the Holy Spirit directing him in another way, and it's collision course. And that goes on in the life of the believer all the time. And the true believer, their desire in their heart is, Lord, I want to walk in your Spirit. I want to walk by your Spirit. I want to walk in step with you. I want to become more and more like you. That's my desire. You know it, Lord. But when we go wrong, we can sometimes lose the sense of peace. We can lose these things. But we want to get back to it. And the Lord will take us back. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it. <clears throat> but the wonderful thing here is that unto those who fear my name, that we've, we come to live for the Lord, to trust the Lord, and we come to serve him. And the service is very, very important because God gives every single one of his people a field of service. For some people, it's lying in a hospital for years. Now you say to yourself, what kind of service is that? It's a service that God has chosen for that particular person. Maybe that person is spending all the time that they have in prayer. It's a, maybe there's a, maybe there, it's, a, it's a wonderful service to the Lord that we know nothing about. But God has people in the most obscure places, in the most difficult places, in the most unattractive places. And they're giving a service that maybe nobody else knows about. It was John Newton said that we should always be satisfied with the field of service that we're given. And that we should never covet anybody else's service. And he said, if the Lord were to send two angels from heaven, one to govern and to rule a whole empire and the other one to clean streets neither angel would covet the position of the other and he said that's how it should be even here on earth as we have come into faith with the Lord Jesus Christ wherever the Lord sets us whatever the Lord gives us to do we should be happy to do it and be willing to serve him where we are. And all of that comes under this sense of the, the fear, fear of the Lord. And it says here, time will move very quickly, unto you that fear, uh, who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Now, you'll notice that it says here, uh, the sun, S-U-N, rather than the S-O-N. Now, I believe it's both. I believe it is the sun of righteousness, S-O-N. Because he is a righteous one. But it is deliberately put here as the S-U-N. The sun, like this is a natural sun which is at the center of our universe. That this is a great description of who Jesus Christ is. And what Jesus Christ does. Because just as the sun is at the center of the universe, everything revolves around the sun. Long ago... People used to think that the, everything, that the sun revolved around the world. But everything revolves around the, the sun. And uh, back <laughs> long ago when people used to think that the world was at the center of everything and everything revolved around the world, there's still people who think like that in the sense that they see themselves and their world as at the center of the universe. There's a lot of people like that. And they look as, and they say, 
Everything is about me. They can't see beyond themselves and they're looking at the whole world revolving around them. That's not the way it is. And the Bible shows us that at the very center is the Son of Righteousness. But also we know that the Son gives life. If there's no Son, there'll be no life. And that's equally true with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the source of life. He is life in himself. He is everlasting life. But he is also the source of our life. Naturally and spiritually. Because without him, everything that was made was made through him. So at a natural level, he is the source of life as well as at the spiritual. But as we know, the sun is also the source of light. Not only life, but light. And that is how it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who has, who has brought light into the darkness. As, God, as the Bible says of God, God is light, and in him dwells no darkness at all. Jesus, when he came into the world, he said, I am the light of the world. And in this statement, really, we see, we see, you can see, first of all, the incarnation, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, in, a, in the sense of a rising sun. Because when Jesus came the first time, he came very differently to the way that he's going to come the second time. Second time, when he reappears, every eye will see him. When he came first time, nobody, hardly anybody knew. His arrival was announced to a few shepherds. And it was, there was a gradual awareness amongst people. This is somebody special. Through his teachings, through his miracles... Through his life, ultimately his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the coming of the Spirit, the spread of the gospel, the sun grew, rose and rose and rose, and the impact in this world is going on to this very day where millions and millions and millions of people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is also, you could put it personally, in the way that the Lord works in our own soul, where there is a gradual dawning of the day. They often say, and I don't know whether that's true or not, that the darkest hour of the night is the hour before dawn. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but people often say that. And that is sometimes very true spiritually as well. That sometimes before we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going through a really difficult time. Where our world has kind of been pulled, the rug is pulled from under us. And we've lost our sense of direction, we've lost our sense of purpose, and we feel that our world is caving in. That can happen within a very, it can happen just in a day, it can happen in a week, it can happen over a month, it can happen for a long time. But it often happens. And that is because God is preparing to come in in the light. And for some people the light will shine in suddenly. And for some people it is very, very gradual. It's just like that. If you're out in the night, and you're out all night, supposing you're out fishing or something like that, and you're coming back uh, sort of early, in the, uh, you're coming over the moor or whatever, and it's, it's dark. And gradually you're beginning very faintly to see things. You can make out shadows and shapes. And as the light grows, the darkness is gradually fading, 
and you're beginning to see these shapes and they're taking, they're taking more than shape and you say, oh, that's now seeing what that is. And so it is spiritually. Maybe that's who you came to faith. And people will say, when did you become a Christian? You say, well, yeah, I can't really tell you. I can't give you a day or an hour. But what I can tell you is this, like the man blind in the scripture, I was once blind, but now I see. Because it was a gradual experience. The sun of righteousness was rising in your experience. And sometimes also, this verse can be applied to the Christian who is going on day by day. Because sometimes you and I know that the days can be dark. You and I know the climate's so changeable. Some days there's a heavy drizzle. Some days it's lashing rain. Some days it's really windy. Some days there's bright skies. But you know when we hit up, which we don't get too often, but sometimes we get a wee prolonged period of sunshine. And you know when you get that, you forget all the dark days and the wet days. They kind of, you say, oh, this is great. And you forget what it was like. And you know, that's how it is in the spiritual realm as well. Because sometimes we struggle. We go through dark times. And times where it's tough going. And the wind is blowing against us. We're being buffeted on all sides. But the Lord doesn't leave us there. Because the sun of righteousness arises. With healing in his wings. I believe that that description is. Just as the natural rays of the sun. Come down with healing. You know that warmth that you get. When it's a really lovely sunny day. And you just say. Whoa, I actually feel good. That's, that's, there's almost a, a refreshing in it, a healing in it. And spiritually it is so when the Lord works again into your soul and he, he brings his own presence and his own peace and his own power. There is real healing in it. And then we read that, they go, <clears throat> that you'll go out, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Calves are kept in here they are, they're sort of being reared inside. They've been born, they're inside, they're being fed inside, and then comes the day when the doors are open and they're let out. Do the calves just take a little trot out? No. They just bolt out, and you can see them in the sun, and they're, it's just they're, they're running, it's exciting. And that's how it is spiritually as well the sense of liberation, the sense of freedom. And I believe what this is a picture of, as we say, with the coming of Jesus into this world, it's a picture of the Christian coming to faith, the Christian being restored and being renewed. It's also a picture of what will happen at the end with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where there will be the ultimate healing in the wings. That's when we will really just be so exuberant and so euphoric with the joy of the Lord as we will enter into his presence. Do you today know the Son of Righteousness in your own life, in your own experience? Or is, it, is he somebody you've heard about, but it's not personal, it's not real to you? Well, ask him today, Lord, come into my heart. Make, make yourself a living reality in my soul. Let's pray. Lord, we pray to bless us. We give thanks that you hear our cry. You know our feebleness. You know, Lord, who we are and what we want to be. And we ask, Lord, that you will deal graciously and lovingly with us. Pray to bless our homes and our families. 
pray for those whose hearts are heavy at this time of year as they miss loved ones. We pray, Lord, for all those who have experienced bereavement and loss recently. We remember uh, the Martin family. Uh, just uh, this, this week we had the funeral on Friday. We commit them to your care. And remember all, Lord, whose hearts are heavy and sore because of, because of bereavement and loss. Pray for healing in the ill and the sick. And ask, Lord, that you will take us to our home safely. Your blessing we ask upon this cup of tea, coffee in the hall afterwards. Do us all good and cleanse us from our sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> we conclude singing in Psalm 84. And this is from the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 84. And that's on page 339 in the, in the, in the psalm book. Page 339. And we're going to sing from verse 8 to the end. Lord God of hosts, my prayer here. O Jacob's God, give ear. See God, O shield, look on the face of thine anointed dear. For in thy courts one day excels a thousand. Rather in my God's house will I keep a door than dwell in tents of sin. For God the Lord's a sun and shield. He'll grace and glory give. And will withhold no good from them that uprightly do live. O thou that art the Lord of hosts, that man is truly blessed, who by assured confidence on the alone doth rest. Psalm 84, verses 8 to the end, Lord God of hosts. Lord God of hosts, my
Now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you, now and forevermore. Amen.